I've gone from 13 to 18, harvesting a six point every year. I'm just going to kind of make that my standard. And at the time, I was like, I want to do that till I'm 30 years old. So then I kind of held myself to that standard. And I, you know, if I, I saw a lot of nice five points over the years, and I just like, ah, I'm just going to wait for a six. And um, so since then, I'm I'm 32 now, and I've I've harvested a six point bull every every year with a bull, a bow, or a rifle um, since I was 13 years old. Wow, that's freaking impressive record, man. What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it. But thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy this elk hunting podcast. Alrighty, Travis, welcome to Wapiti Wednesday. I uh, got Travis on from uh, Stuck in the Rut. Man, you guys have an awesome YouTube channel. You crush it. Uh, you do a ton of hunting, by the way. So congrats to that. And, uh, yeah, I was watching. I mean, you guys kind of do a bit of everything, right? Yeah, we do. Yep, thanks for having me. And, yeah, we try. I don't know. I always just like a new challenge. So we hunt whatever we can get a tag for. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that for sure. I mean, you get a bunch of uh, videos from Alaska and all over and uh, mule deer, elk, but man, you guys have uh, some awesome elk hunting content and I'm going to link to some of the videos in there, Uh, but I was watching this morning. So Travis and I were talking before and, uh, you know, everyone, we get a few people that complain we don't have enough rifle hunting podcasts for elk because you tend to start talking bow hunting and I don't think uh, rifle hunting gets its, uh, due respect or whatever. So, uh, we were going to do a podcast on maybe talk some rifle stuff, uh, tell some stories. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. We might end up talking bow hunting, but, uh, how much, I mean, you do a little bit of both, right? I mean, you're not just strictly bow hunter, not just strictly rifle hunter. You kind of do it all, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously there's nothing better for me to be up close and personal to it bull elk with a bow and arrow you know 15 10 15 yards sometimes but at the same time it's kind of a different high or a different time of year when you've got a rifle in your hand and i think obviously my favorite time is uh and it doesn't happen very often but when you can catch a like a herd bull just screaming his head off and you got a rifle in your hand you, know, you got a lot a <laughs> lot better odds of harvesting an animal than when you do when you have a bow in your hand so <laughs> oh for it's, sure uh, definitely can be very exciting yeah, and I think, you know, like the rifle hunting just gives us more opportunity. I think, uh, you know, you, you, I grew up mainly archery hunting elk, and I still mainly archery elk, hunt elk, but I do spend, you know, some time. Like, it's just an extra tag. It's an extra season. You know, if I can get another hunt, heck yeah, I'm going to go chase elk with a rifle. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I try and do. I try and have a an archery tag in one state and mm. a rifle bag in another state so i can get the both best of both worlds in the year if i can oh, and my sure. family eats a lot i mean we, <laughs> we eat usually two elk a year and deer or whatever else we get so you guys birth like two, two elk a year yeah we do 
That's yeah. impressive. I mean, my wife and I got married. We got married five years ago, and we have four kids. And so she's pretty much been pregnant or breastfeeding. She just craves <laughs> elk meat. She just she'd probably eat at least an elk and a half by herself. So uh, that's <laughs> and she's awesome. just a little thing, but she likes elk meat. <laughs> Well, I mean, I always feel like I have a bunch of meat and then I feel generous. I'm like, man, we have way too much meat. And then I'll like start giving it away. And then about this time every year, (laughs) it's like, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to make it till elk season. (laughs) Yeah. So what's, what's, I mean, what's your background? (laughs) How did uh, Sucking the Rock get started? I mean, you kind of just been hunting your whole life or what's your backstory? Yeah, I would say kind of a nutshell we always hunted a lot. I mean, um, I think it kind of kept us out of, of trouble in school. And I, I guess I could say I didn't feel like I was very great at sports, but I was good at hunting at an early age. I, and I just, it just took to it, you know, and, and that's all I thought about. That's all I really cared about when I was younger is, is just the next time I'd be in the woods. And so I would just, I was in the woods all the time. I mean, if it, if I had, if I had a, an hour after school, I was in the woods. I was either antler hunting or, or uh, hunting itself. And then when I started working, um, I started working early, you know, like when I was 12 or so, I started logging with my dad. And then uh, I would just, I just kind of got in the habit of working really hard in the summers and saving up enough money. And then um, we'd just take off like pretty much all the hunting season in the fall. And it was great to do that. You know, you're young, you don't have any kids or family. And, and, uh, so it didn't really matter if you spent every last dime that you made (laughs) hunting. So a lot of times we'd hunt, like I said, three months straight sometimes without working. Wow. And, uh, you know, when I was in school, it'd be after school, but even when I graduated high school, I started a construction business. I would always try and line up my houses to where I didn't have to be there during hunting season that often, you know, I'd have the subs in there working. So, Again, we'd take off as many months as we could, and we just we just lived in the woods. We lived in the mountains, and um, you know, a lot of our videos, it looks like oh, that might have been an easy hunt or whatever. But you know, you can't really show the month before trying to kill that animal before yeah. it happens. You know, so it's, if you put enough time in the woods, um, you kind of learn the animals, and I think it it just definitely helps with the success rate. Oh, for sure. And it's like how many years of, of being does... out there. So yeah, we, we, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, just think how many years it takes, oh. like before you really start to have that ability to make it happen on a, you know, not a routine basis, but like it takes years of, you know, practice. And you, I mean, you do something for long enough and enough times, like, I mean, how many hours and hours and hours you probably have chasing elk or hunting and whatnot, uh, to get to that point where you can, yeah. you know, make it happen seemingly quickly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I've noticed even more in the last few years, some of like, say if it's just one area that we've hunted, you know, a lot of years in our life, like we've, you kind of learn the movements of the elk. You learn, I know, I know the cows in the area, like know our bugles and our cow calls and we have to switch it up every year to, Mm. Uh, try and make it different, but you kind of learn their patterns. I mean, they elk yeah. are definitely, I've learned over the years, like creatures of habit and, um, you know, they'll go from their feeding grounds to bedding grounds, uh, t- typically the same, but some I've seen, you know, 15 years in a row or so, you'll see the same group of cows. They'll have a different bowl with them every year, but they'll do the same thing. 
oh certain yeah times of the year you know and yeah watch them. the freaking the cows i mean it's like they do all the same things because it's like how many generations are in a herd and they've just been doing the same thing that the lead cow did and so mostly yeah. speaking and there's always like gonna be exceptions to every rule like habitat's gonna change that like if, yep. you know if, say for whatever Absolutely. reason you know the feed changes or a fire changes you know routine or something like that but for the most part you know, as long as there's no big changes, those cows are pretty habitual. Yes, absolutely. Uh, do you remember, like, what was your the first time where you, like, were hooked? Or maybe it just, like, sank in, like, yeah, I get it now. Uh, yeah, definitely. The one that comes to mind, um, so when I was younger, my dad was a great dad. He's He's definitely a workaholic, and so... <laughs> You know, he'd take me out for the occasional deer hunt or something when I was old enough to hunt, which used to be 12 years old here in Idaho when I was that age. Now it's 10. Anyway, uh, so I shot a deer or two, but nothing nothing crazy, probably out of a pickup window or something on one of his property. <laughs> and then um, when I was 13, I just was begging him to go elk hunting. And he's, you know, he was busy logging and doing everything else. So I remember it was the, it was the last day of season. And he had done a logging job and my mom and my siblings and I were going up to plant trees on this logging job uh, in the fall toward the end of October. And so I I told my mom, I was like, well, I'm going to bring my gun in case we, in case I go for a little walk and look for an elk. So um, we took the gun and the rest of the family was planting trees. And I just, I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to walk up. There was kind of a bench. I mean, it was a steep mountain, you know, a couple probably 4,000 foot climb, but I went about halfway up it. So probably a 2,000 foot climb. That was by myself. And this is a steep mountain I've never been up before. And uh, my dad had never hunted it. And I just said, I'm going to walk up there to that. There's kind of a bench up there and then I'll come back after dark. And, and luckily she had faith in me. She just let me go. <laughs> well, I think a lot of moms would maybe be afraid to do that. And so I hiked up there and uh, got on that bench and there was really no elk sign. I mean, it was more of a deer spot really. Um, but I was walking through the woods and I found this, I remember this giant whitetail shed. It was older. And I looked over and I, I saw this shed on this bench. So I walked over and uh, picked it up. And right when I picked it up, I heard a stick pop. Kind of as you can envision um, over the hill, like I was on the bench and over the hill for me, I heard a stick pop. And I looked that direction and the other side of that white tail, the white tail I just found was over there. So it's like, well, I'll go pick up that horn and kind of sneak over. And so I did, I, I walked over there and I looked at the horn and I didn't pick it up yet. I thought, I'll just peek over this little cliff here and look down. And I, I looked down and there was a, there was a six point bull elk at, I would say 12 or 15 yards standing there sleeping. Um, you know, the, kind of kind of like a horse i mean it looked mm -hmm. like he was sleeping his eyes were open but when he saw movement he um he was really relaxed when, but when he saw movement you know his eyes got three times the size as they were and he he bolted and when he bolted um he was so close and it was so steep he didn't he couldn't go very fast so i shot him when he was running i uh, was seven mm and i shot him <laughs> shot him once and he just kind of hunched up and shot him two more times and that sucker just rolled down the hill and i felt as a 13 year old by myself, solo, you know, public land in the mountains, 
I definitely felt like I was on top of the world right then. And, and that particular hunt is, is what hooked me for sure. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like just being able to do it on your own, I think is a huge confidence boost and like, just, just like takes you to a new level of like, man, I can do this. You know, no one else helped me. And at 13, yeah. you're probably like, yeah, like you said, cloud nine came back like, yeah, no big deal. Just shot a giant bull. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I remember, you know, it was a calm night. So you could hear for a long ways away. I remember, um, my mom yelling up the mountain. She's just like, did you, did you get one? I was like, I got one. And she, she would ask me a question like, do I need to get your dad? Do I need to get, you know, Packers? And I, I just said, I, I got one. And I, just whatever she would say, I'd just say, I got one. <laughs> and, um, ended up, there was a younger kid working for my dad at the time. And, and, uh, she called him up cause she couldn't get a hold of my dad. He was on another job and, he had a little party going on at his house. So he just brought the whole party up and, you know, there was, I don't know, maybe 10 high school boys and they just <laughs> all came up and helped pack it out. And then my dad showed up. So it was, it was really awesome. It was a cool experience. Oh, that is really cool. Um, yeah, man, that's nuts. Uh, so kind of, I guess hunting all over and I mean, the success that you've had and, and just being able to get it done as far as elk goes, like, what would you attribute your success to as far as like what what enables you to get it done you know, we go back to like talking about hey you know years and years and hours and hours of uh just being around elk and that and that creates those you know successes seemingly like oh you know instant successes or like it makes it look easy on these films uh, when you go to your youtube channel it's just like oh yeah that was that's how it's done yep right there but like what what do you think is like the <laughs> biggest thing that you know attributes to your success both rifle and bow well, it seemed like when I was younger, I had a lot of luck on my side with killing nice animals. But um, also, I just like I said, it's just I think it's a lot of time. And I had the time when I was younger. And so it teaches you, you know, and being selective as well, I guess. You know, it seems like that whole trophy hunting thing gets a bad rap. And uh, as a, I almost call it selective hunting to myself just because trophy hunting gets such a bad rap. But mm -hmm. I've always been really a... Um, a little bit of a trophy hunter just because I like to watch the animals as much as I like to shoot one. And so if you just shoot the first animal you see every single time you go out, I don't think you get the experience of being able to learn how the herd and the animals move. Uh, but a lot of occasions I can think of where I would see a bull, say it was just a, you know, a spike or a two or a three pointer or whatever. And I had meat. I wasn't worried about that. I was just looking for a big mature bull. And you can watch that bull with the herd. You can watch their movements, sometimes watch them for hours. I think that alone gives you um, just the knowledge and experience to to get it done when, when a herd bull actually walks out. You know, you can kind of think about what move he's going to make next, try and be one step ahead of the elk instead of them being one step ahead. Man, that's, that's very true. I couldn't agree more. I think that I'm the same way. I get a lot of shit for, you know, letting elk go <laughs> but like i think the same thing yeah. like you know like i have a lot of experience i had i used to be able to spend a well I, yeah i used to be able to spend a lot of time in the woods and and you know following elk and i didn't really care if i shot anything it wasn't like you know i, I think you learn a lot after you just decide not to shoot an elk because it's like such a natural behavior to watch and i think most people spend their time 
you know, they see an elk and they got to figure out how to shoot it. And they're not really paying attention to what the elk's doing, why they're doing it, or like just the number of behaviors or, you know, little things that you learn after you decide not to shoot something. Like, like you said, like once you're selective, it's like, man, I've learned so much from letting elk go. And granted, you know, they, yeah. there's like this old adage that, you know, you have to kill a number of elk before you really get comfortable. And, and there's a lot of things you learn. I will agree. There's a lot of things you learn, you know, there's like, you always hear guys like, Oh yeah, I passed that elk. Like, yeah. Did you really pass that elk or did you just see an elk? You know? And I think there's like that, right. that, that last little bit is always like the true test, whether you could have killed him or not, because there's so much shit that goes wrong in that. And so like, it takes a little bit of learning there, but you do, I think when you do just, Hey, I'm not going to shoot this elk and you sit and watch and you learn and you watch elk behavior. You know, when I was, when I was younger, man, I just wanted to be around elk 24 seven. It was like, it would be the middle of summer and I would go sneak in on a herd of elk and just follow them around, you know, just that obsessed kid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I do think you learn yeah. a lot that way. And that's, yeah. And that's what it, that's what it takes. And another thing that kind of reminds me of that, talking about success and passing bulls up. Um, so like I said, I wasn't picky when I was younger at all. Uh, and I think luck was on my side, but after, after I shot that bull when I was 13, uh, the next two two years in a row, uh, the first elk, and back then I would have shot a spike. I would have shot anything. I was excited to, to harvest anything. I uh, The next two years, the first ap- opportunity I got were on six-point bulls, and I, I shot with a rifle. And then I really got into archery hunting, and it was kind of the same thing. The next few years, the first opportunity was a six-point. And so I think I went till I was 18 years old. <laughs> And then I shot a really nice bull, uh, with a bow. But anyway, I went to 18 by killing a six by six every year, kind of by accident. Like I said, I was shot anything. So then after that, I kind of set the standard, like, okay, I've gone from 13 to 18, harvesting a six point every year. I'm just going to kind of make that my standard. And at the time I was like, I want to do that till I'm 30 years old. And then I'll just, I'll try and make a new goal after that. But, um, so then I kind of held myself to that standard and i you know if i i saw a lot of nice five points over the years and i just like ah, i'm just gonna wait for a six and um so since then i'm i'm 32 now and i've i've harvested a six point bull every every year with a bull a bow or a rifle wow that's um, a freaking impressive record man and i know now it's a lot of weight on my shoulders but at the same <laughs> time it's like i i made my goal till i was 30 and then i thought well maybe i should be more selective now and it's kind of funny at, a, at all those bulls, like my brother, Tom, uh, he was less selective, but he killed really cool bulls. Like he'd kill seven points and things with stickers sometimes, and then he'd shoot smaller bulls. And then, uh, the, all the bulls out of all the bulls I shot, they were just clean, clean sixes. And I was like, man, I would love to just kill a seven point. <laughs> this last year I did end up finally killing my first, um, seven by seven, which is pretty neat. It, first one that had stickers. That is freaking anyway. cool. Uh, what's I, what's your selection process look like? How do you know if you're going to shoot an elk when it comes in? Oh, man, I just looked for that back point. It's got a six point. It, it's going down. Six, six <laughs> points going down. Nice. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and even now, like, um, I mean, it's kind of sad to see where the uh, – our local hunting anyway, where I ended a lot when I was a kid, obviously, it's been just – tanked by wolves so we're having to go elsewhere we're having to put in for drawings and 
Um, you know, if we throw a really good tack, obviously we're going to try and wait for a, mm. a better bowl. Hey guys, real quick interruption to tell you a little secret that I picked up. And if you want to be a good elk hunter, there's one thing that I've noticed that every great hunter I've ever interviewed does that almost every new elk hunter does not do. And it's having a system. And in my own quest to become a better hunter, I set out to learn from all of the best hunters out there. And the one thing they all have is a system that took them years to develop. If you want the blueprint that I've developed after hundreds of interviews, go check out the new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for being a more successful hunter. This is the fast track that took most of these guys 10 plus years to develop, and even myself. So go check it out, Elk Hunt 201. The link's in the show notes. I hope you guys enjoy it. So far, people have loved it from new hunters to vets. I've had so many messages and seems to be uh, a big hit. So I hope you guys enjoy it. hope it adds value to your elk hunting career. And so, oh, man. but yeah, pretty much up until now, it's like, if it's a six point, it's going down. And have you rifle hunted and bow hunted then essentially since you were 18? I mean, kind of just back and forth or is there like, you just do one or yeah. the other? No, it's just kind of been, yeah, like the first couple were with a rifle and then I really got into bow and um, I got sponsored by Bow Tech because I was really into the archery shoots and shooting uh, and I killed a really nice bull. And so then it kind of gave me some fire with a bow for a while. And I think for, I think five or six years, I shot a bull with a bow. And then we kind of got into doing the long range shooting. So then I kind of like, it was just a new challenge, you know, it was like, I killed them consecutively with bow. So then I like kind of shot them consecutively long range. And then I just, now I'm just kind of like, well, whatever, whatever season it is close, far bow or not of this, I hunt elk, (laughs) whatever the season is. (laughs) Well, yeah, no kidding. But Uh, I do love, like I said, there's not a better feeling than that having a bull he has thick thick up in the country that we hunt a lot of times and and i've had you know you you can't always tell but you can usually tell a big screamer bull at least a mature herd bull yeah just by his patterns and when he's bugling and stuff like that and i've had some occasions where i probably had the biggest highs in hunting where you have a herd bull screaming you know within a couple hundred yards you can't see him yet it's too brushy but you've got a rifle in your hand the wind's in your favor and that's an awful good feeling yeah Um, no kidding. Usually you get a shot off. So yeah. how does it, how does your ch- tactics change as you switch from rifle to bow? Um, and I, I would, I tend to think that like, yeah, becoming a bow hunter makes you a better rifle hunter. Um, not that it's mandatory, not that you're like, oh, well you got to pick up bow hunting and then you'll, then you'll learn how to rifle hunt. But I know there's a lot of guys listening to this podcast that also rifle hunt. So I'm kind of curious from guys like yourself who, who do a lot of both, you know, how those overlap, what lessons you've kind of pulled from one to the other. Um, you know, obviously long range is different than chasing screaming bulls. Uh, so there's a lot to dive into there, but like, as far as like, crossover is it pretty similar or are you like hunting completely different country you know like with a rifle i feel like guys tend to try to try to try to hunt country that lends itself to more rifle shots you know and but you know that can kind of create like a lot of people in the same areas and so you know rifle hunting tends to have a lot more people than bow hunting and you know i think that most rifle hunters kind of look at country all the same like oh well i could see a lot here you know that's the huge advantage right so they're trying to utilize that advantage um 
I mean, again, that's a lot to unwrap, but like what kind of tactics or, or things have you moved over from your archery hunting into your rifle hunting? Um, that's a little bit of a difficult question. I think it's a long answer, but I guess I just kind of break it down a bit in the Northwest where I'm used to is we're talking about elk habits and you have to learn that the habits of the elk different times of the year. So like at the beginning, you know, in archery season, a lot of times those herd bulls, the beginning of September, like I said, this is just where I'm used to hunting in the, the Northern States here, Northwest States, but the herd bulls are sometimes off by themselves. And so you have a chance of calling one in with a, a cow call, but then as September moves on, and I'm just going to run through this fast. As September moves on, a lot of times that challenging bugle would work with that bull. Well, then you get into a lot of the rifle seasons that open in October. And what I've seen with that is you have just a couple days. If you have like a season that opens between say the 1st of October to the 15th, somewhere in there, you have the first couple days of season where you have these herd bulls bugle and still doing the rut with the cows. And then you have to think uh, you, then you can hunt them like you do a bow in a sense. And that, that can be really fun, but those elk are so smart. I mean, it seems like the first rifle shot they hear, I've seen those big herd bulls pull away from the cows and go off by themselves in the deepest, darkest hole that they can find. And then you'll see those herds of cows with just little small bulls with them. And the herd bull's gone. Like I said, they're smart. So then you have to change your tactic altogether. And you're just, you can't hunt off of the sign that you're seeing. Um, you're just looking for that one particular bull. And I'm, I'm specifically talking about herd bulls here. Mm-hmm. That, and so it's hard. I mean, it's hard. Once that bull pulls away from the cows, you're out there in miles and miles of country, sometimes looking for one bull. And, and that can be tough. You can walk, I walk days before you know, before finding where one's living or something like that, where there's just no tracks, they pull away from everything. No, and, totally, um, totally. In, unless you have a lot of elk around. Yeah. And yeah. then, and yeah. then oh, as it moves on the post rut hunts, Oh, I was just going to say that. And then we kind of call it the post rut hunts, you know, the hunts late October or, um, into November, then they get, they get even just smarter yet. Those big bulls pull away. Um, and then when the snow flies, say late November, some, some states have hunts, uh, those bulls are bachelor up again. And sometimes you can catch them, you know, really cold days and they have to come out and see, then you can catch them. And so I can't say one tactic for anything. It's like I said, learning the habits of the elk throughout the year and what they do in their movements. And a lot of them are migratory a little bit. They're, they're at different elevations in different stages throughout the year. So there, there isn't, I just would say one answer. It's that you got to learn your area, learn the movements of your elk and, uh, at least to become proficient at it. No, totally. And I, uh, 100%, 100% agree. It's like habitat first. Like we tended to look at archery hunting as very rut focused, which is still habitat focused. You're just looking for cow habitat. Um, whereas, you know, rifle hunting, yep. you know, if you look at habitat first, you're looking at bull habitat. And, you know, a lot of guys will ask me like, man, just don't even know where to start. And I think that a lot of guys will tend to take this like archery mindset where they're looking for the elk as in the herds of elk and they're looking for them during rifle season, um, which can depend, like you said, depending on the time frames and, and what those elk are needing in a habitat, you know, that's going to be different. So if you're looking for, you know, the elk, 
you could probably get away with it until, like you said, until that first to fifteenth time frame, and then all of a sudden now it's like we're we're not looking for the elk. We're we're basically moving away. And you know, guys will ask me all the time, like you know, about finding elk or you know, scouting and things like this for for later rifle seasons. You know, take Montana for example, which kind of spans a long time frame. And, and realistically, it's kind of hard to say because Eastern Montana is going to be different than Western Montana, which is a little bit different than Central Montana. And a lot of that all boils down to how yeah. far do they go to winter? And so I always tell guys like, Hey, find, figure out where they winter, you know, where they winter and where they rut. And depending on how far away those are, like they're going to be somewhere in the middle there. Like they don't, they yeah. don't go 50 miles North and then back 50 miles South to, to do their thing. You know, they might take a little detour or what, whatnot, but for the most part, they're moving from their summer grounds to their winter grounds. And depending on the elk, depending on the country, there's a few variables there, but I think, you know, like just understanding that as a basic principle and then going back to like, okay, what's the elk need? Um, what's he want or whatever. And I, you know, man, that's what I actually intrigues me about rifle season. I love trying to find those big old bulls in nasty holes, you know, like hiding out that to me is, it's just fun. It's just, yep. it's a different type of hunting, but it's like, it's still a challenge. Like you said, you can walk miles and never see an elk tracks. Don't tell you anything. Cause you could be, you know, you could see tracks from yesterday and he's 10 miles away right now. Um, so they can yeah, tell you right. some things, but they can't, you know? So it's like, it's, it's just a different game. Um, as much as I love screaming bulls, yeah, definitely, yeah. you know, I love the late season and trying to like, churn up that bull that no one else has found and generally speaking a lot of those bulls you know they they take pretty well the same routes um a lot of times you know and then when you start finding those bachelor groups you know usually year after year they're pretty close to the same areas or same canyons at least and so when you can find that canyon that yep. holds some good group of bachelor bulls that's that's awesome that's fun to me yes absolutely and i i was talking to a uh that reminds me, I was talking to a biologist last year in New Mexico, and he told me, you're looking for a big bull um, in New Mexico. We, we had a late October hunt. He said, you want to look in the same places they shed. And, you know, so if you find sheds, those big bulls are going to be close. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little different down there because they don't get snow. But I saw about that up here. And, yeah, sometimes um, if you do get a lot of snow, at toward the end of the season, those big bulls are right where they shed. Like they don't, they don't move unless something um, yeah. kicks yeah. them out. But yeah. And it just depends on story, how far they go. I, I, I know stories. I know stories are always good. And one, one story that comes to my mind that kind of gives an example of how, you know, predators obviously play a different role nowadays, at least with all the wolves that we have. And, uh, so this last year, my brother and I, we were chasing two pretty nice bulls in this tag that we drew and we chased them throughout our archery season. And, um, one was a six by seven and one was a seven by seven in different, different canyons. And this one bull, we just could not, his cows, he had a whole bunch of cows and we just could not seal the deal with a bow. And so fast forward to rifle season and we first went for the bigger bull. He was a nice seven by seven in a different Canyon. We, we didn't get him. And so, um, oh, I got to back up two days prior, two days prior to season. I saw, I would call him the number two bull for us. He was that six by seven. I hiked up the drainage and I saw him in the same spot that he was at during archery season. He was up, up high in the mountains. He still had his group of cows. He was still bugling. 
So I thought, and he was way back there, so I wasn't too concerned about anybody being in there opening day. So we went after him the second day when the first bowl didn't work out. And um, we get in there, and it's like, man, I saw that bull three days ago in here, three or four days ago. He was screaming. He was right here. We couldn't find him anywhere. The only tracks we saw were heading, heading to lower country. And then about an hour after daylight, the wolves started howling like crazy. And it's like, oh, man, this sucks. That's, you know, those wolves moved in. It's that time of year. These, these elk pulled out of here. Um, long story short, I did get a shot off on one of the wolves and shot one of them. And then, because uh, they were howling all morning long. And so, the, it would be the third day of season. We thought, well, like you said, we know where these elk winter. So, they're going to be somewhere in between. So, my brother and I, Tom, split up. We went separate, separate ways on different ridges. And I bugled in a, small, a smaller bull. And I had to get to work. So, I called called my brother Tom at about 11 o'clock in the morning and said, Hey, I got to get to work. Um, are you seeing anything? He's like, no, it sucks. I'm not seeing any sign. They haven't been living in here. And so anyway, I just went to work about an hour later. I get a call from my brother and he says, Hey, you're not going to believe it, but I just shot that six by seven. I'm like, what six by seven? He said, the one we been chasing all archery season. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And we were, um, we were about 22 miles away. Uh, for that elk to walk, you know, in a four day wow. time. And he shot that same bull and, and that was kind of luck. I wouldn't call that really skill out. <laughs> there's a lot of luck involved. I was shocked myself that he was already there, but he didn't hold up. He did not hold up in the middle. They just, the wolves moved into that country. They thought, okay, let's head to winter grounds. They went to their winter grounds. That's crazy. And I couldn't believe it. In midday, that bull bugled. He made the mistake of bugling one time. Uh, to his cows and so he gave away his location and tom snuck in there real quiet till he he thought he was getting too close he was going to jump it and i think he i think he let out a little bugle and the bull never answered back he just walked out and looked at him that was all he had to that was the mistake he had to make to get shot how much do you guys utilize and, calls and during uh rifle season and what's your kind of like i guess rule of thumb on that i know we talked like ah first through 15th it's definitely doable like but man, I would have thought like snow, wolves, and you know, never would have thought to bugle, or never would have, you know, whatever. Like I was just kind of curious what you guys' thought is on using calls or bugling during rifle season. Um, I definitely use it. Like I said, during that first part, the first few days, um, I'll definitely throw a bugle out here or there just to see if one will answer yet. And then kind of after that, once the bulls pull away from the cows, I, I guess I don't find it to be. Yeah. very effective at all then then it's like i I don't want that elk to know that i'm here when sure. you're chasing a, a what i call a post rut bull when he's off by himself those are the kind of elk um my buddy always told me when i'm younger he's like you know you're going too fast if you're walking through the woods and that animal's looking at you before you see it uh, and i kind of took that to heart and tried really slowing down and there's one particular story that comes to mind. I called, I called this buddy of mine that is a successful hunter that I respect a lot. And I was just pounding the mountains. I like to hike and I like to like to hike a long ways. But anyway, I was just pounding the mountains day after day. And I told him, I, I was like, man, I jumped a big bull yesterday, you know, came up on him. He was bedded down. He just took off running. And I said, all I could see was big stick sticking out each side when he ran away. It's big seven by seven. 
He's like, dude, you have to slow down. He's like, I've hunted with you. You're running past these elk. And he said, he said, I know you got to walk a long ways to get to the sign. But he said, when you get there, he said, I want you to do something for me for one day. Just try it. Just try my way and see if it works. And I was like, oh, whatever. I'll, I'll give it a shot. So he said, just when you get to some sign or when you just feel like you're getting close, just slow the heck down. He's like, take a couple steps, look around. Um, you know, take a few more steps, look around. He's like, it doesn't matter if it takes you all day to walk a mile. He's like, you're going to be way better off than blowing through there. So I thought, well, that's extremely hard for me to do, but I'll try his <laughs> way one day. And so I went up the same ridge that I had been jumping all these elk on and it was a post rut hunt. It was late October. These bulls were off by themselves and it was thick timber. And Right at first light, I got to the elevation I thought I needed to be at, and I just started to slow down. And I seriously just take a few steps, and then I just pick apart the timber with my binoculars. And I was probably one of the only times in my life that I hesitated because I was so shocked. But I, I was actually looking with my scope this time, and I was scanning the timber. And right in my crosshairs was a, a bull elk bedded down. It was just getting light, so it was pretty dusky. And uh, there was a bull elk bedded down at about. 80 yards and just looking at me, his head was sticking up above the blowdown. And I like, I normally would just flip the safety off and shot that thing just in a split second. But I was so shocked. I like pulled down and looked with my, I pulled my scope from my eye and I looked with my naked eye and like just in complete awe that I walked up on this bedded down bowl like that without him jumping. And then that second hesitation caused me that elk. Cause when I, Looked back in my scope, that thing was gone so fast, jumped up and ran away. But that that was definitely a learning day for me. And since then, I've slowed down a lot. And I've had a number of experiences where um, I'll walk up on a, a bull or, or elk or any kind of animal. And if they're just, if you walk up on an animal at 50, you know, that, that close range, 50, 80 yards or closer, and they don't know you're there and they're feeding, you know that you did something right. Yeah. You were quiet, you went blowing us, and then you're going to get an opportunity to actually harvest something instead of just getting action of seeing things run away, seeing their butt. <laughs> Dude, that is that is solid yeah. advice that I don't think you can, like, repeat enough because I – you know, I'm one of those people that uh, – walks you know you walk really fast you got to get somewhere and i think it's really hard for a lot of people to transition from that like got to get to point a into now i'm just moseying for no reason it's like i'm literally just out for a sunday stroll and just yeah. creeping along and then it's like and then i'll hit a section you know say i go through a timber patch and it's like i i tend to if people are hunting with me, I tend to say, you know, like walk as fast as the terrain allows, which means if I can't see a hundred yards, then I'm definitely moseying. You know, if there, if I can't see 10 yards, it's like, I'm going very, very, very slow. It's like still hunting, you know? And if I can only see 200 oh, yards, yeah. that's a different pace where if I can see 500 yards, I can probably cruise. It's not like I'm going to sneak up on an elk that's 80 yards away. Um, you know, if I can see 500 yards in every direction. And so like walking to what, like the terrain visibility allows us, man, that's huge advice. And you know, my dad used to, I remember we hunt 
And he would just creep through the woods and it would like, as a kid, drive me bananas because I was just like, oh my God, this is so slow, <laughs> you know? And then he'd stop all the time and stop. And actually blacktail hunting, it's good advice because yeah. like uh blacktail will let you walk right by it and never get up. And so he would stop all the time and right. wait and wait because that <laughs> buck would get nervous and then stand up and run. I but, see. And then same thing with elk, yeah. you know, it's like. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've done the same thing. I remember one story or one time I was, uh, I was hunting, uh, for some people and, uh, <laughs> I had a guy with me some friends and I were, we just this little tiny timber patch. And I mean, most people wouldn't even walk through it. I mean, it couldn't have been more than two or three acres, maybe an acre. And we start, I just kind of start creeping through it and creeping in there knowing that these bulls, once the shooting starts, they'll just hold up in these little tiny pockets and just wait. And, right. uh, I'm glassing, I'm glassing. And I just seen, I don't know how I saw it, but I just saw the, it's like the base of an antler. And then I'm like looking at it, I'm like, yep. man, that looks familiar. And then I could like move around and I could see an eyeball. And I was like, you know, there's a bull. <laughs> And then conveying that to the person behind That's you awesome. is virtually impossible. <laughs> it was like, uh, okay, look through those trees and you're going to see like some nubs that look like the base of an antler. And about that time, the bull just <laughs> blows out of there. Um, uh, didn't get a shot, but yeah, like that's still hunting. How do you, I was curious, how do you know when to still hunt, when to, you know, hold up on glassing locations? And this is going to be, you know, terrain dependent. I know if you're hunting Idaho, a lot of thick country, but. I mean, you know, I guess for the most part with your glass, you can cover a lot more ground. You know, it's like, it seems like you're being more efficient if you're looking over thousands and thousands of acres versus, you know, still hunting through the timber where you can only see a hundred yards. Like, how do you, how do you decide what to do and when and, and, uh, and choose whether to, you know, go hit the timber or, or sit up on a glassing point? Um, I think it's, yeah, a lot of what tag you have or what terrain you're dealing with, like you said, but, um, in lots of parts of Idaho, there really isn't much glassing at all. It's so mm -hmm. thick, um, at least in the Northern part and some of the Southern parts, but so yeah, you're just pretty much stuck to still hunting or hunting real small openings. So in the more open country, which I'd say the majority of the Northwest is, uh, a lot of times we glass at prime time, you know, we get to a spot where we can glass in the morning, right at, right at daylight. We're where we want to glass when it's daylight. We sneak in there in the dark and then we glass. Um, and usually, even if you're not seeing your target animal, if it's an elk, you're, you can see a deer, or you see anything. And then when the animals start bedding down, kind of seems like when the deer start bedding down, you know, the elk are probably doing the same thing. And we usually give it a half hour longer or something. And then when you quit seeing movement, then we would usually, uh, we call it timber pounding or, you know, like you're calling still hunting or whatever, going through the timber real slow. We do that during the daytime, you know, most likely you're not going to see a big bull unless somebody else jumps it just in the 90 degree weather, or heat of the day or whatever the temperature is out yeah. in the middle of the day, feeding in the wide open. If they've already been shot at, like you said, they're going to go to those little small timber patches. They're just going to show themselves maybe. I don't know, 10 minutes before dark and 10 minutes after light. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes if, if you're picking apart a hillside, and a lot of times I've done that too, where even if you're hunting in timber, timbered uh, country, if you're on a different side of a drainage, you know, I've just sat there for hours midday just picking apart 
uh, what most people would glass with binos and see nothing and, and take off. I just sit there with a spotting scope and just go up and down and just picking it apart as a grid. And sometimes you just pick out an antler sticking out and you're just like, Oh my gosh, there's a bull up bedded down right there. Like he's, he's in rifle range. We've had that happen a number of times midday. Um, so it's just, it's terrain dependent, I guess. Yeah. Weather dependent. Sometimes rainy, rainy, foggy days, you're not going to see anything grassing anyway. So, no, yeah, we've had that happen on on rifle hunts where it's you know five day hunt and fog rolls in. Guess what? You're not glassing anything. You might as well just get your ass in the timber and make it happen. You know, and that's, that's I right. think that's one of those things where like you got to be versatile in in what you do. And so like, how many times have you been weathered out and glassing just wasn't an option? What are you gonna do? Sit at camp and and you know shoot darn yeah. I drew a tag on a year the weather was bad. Or do you you know try to hit those those north faces or i guess this is like dependent you know it's like depends on the time of year depends on everything but like when you're looking for a lot of those big bulls uh let's let's say post rut uh bachelor groups and or singles do you have a like a type of terrain or habitat that you use like man that that's some bully country you know you say bucky country but like you know that's that's the kind of country i always see bulls in do you have like a specific type of habitat or terrain or feature or something like that um i wouldn't say so just because the post rut hunts that i hunt usually are not in familiar country so Mm -hmm. i'm just going to a new area and i'm trying to figure it out and so when i look at i guess when i do look at terrain what you're saying is i'm looking at okay, where is that little pocket or hole, whatever the terrain allows that somebody else isn't going to get to. I'm trying to think of, I want to go that extra mile that most people are going to turn around in Mm. because that's where those bulls most likely are going to be. I mean, if if there's a lot of traffic, you always get the occasional one that could, could potentially be by a road or where a hiking trail, but I'm looking at that, that spot where I think, okay, if I was a bull elk, where would I be where I can get food, I can get water and nobody's really going to be bothering me back there. Yeah. And they're not going to be smelling people walk by the trails and things like that. And so I try and look at those little holes. A lot of that just comes from, like I said, just experience and and finding bulls and places like that throughout your life. Then you kind of think, okay, that that's similar to the last spot I found a, a bull in that other state. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm looking at the map just trying to get trying to get away from people mainly. <laughs> this is always the case. And I think it's different. You know, in archery I always talk about like how uh a lot of these bulls can hold up in areas like right next to the road, right next to the highway and you know, it could it doesn't have to necessarily be 15 miles in. But then when I look at like rifle and I'm looking for that post rut bull, like I got to find that place where a bull can age because like just knowing, you know, yeah. like, with the type uh, what happens in the rut? Like, right. You know, a bull could be killed on any given Tuesday, just running in front of the wrong person, but cause he's covering ground. He's like looking for cows. He's doing all these things. But when you look at like the rifle season, that bull is going to hold up in probably the same Canyon most of his life. So it's gotta be one of those spots that nobody's going to see for eight, 10 years, you know, like, and trying to find that yeah. spot is like, that's the gold mine because he's going to hold up the same spot. Whereas in the rut, he may be covering miles and miles and miles of country, you know, and, and granted a bull could get shot traveling yep. from summer ground to, to his wintering pot or his hidey hole or whatever. But like, when I think about like trying to find rifle bulls, the first thing I'm looking for is like, where is everybody missing? That's 
and and it's generally not closer road or something like that. You know, it's generally going to be like, where can a bull age? That's my number one thing. And when I look for places like bow, it's like, where can, where, where are people not looking? Yep. So I don't yeah. know, you kind of no, think about I, the same I way. I think that's a great point. You got to look at, yeah, you got to look at the, look at the age. That bull's, that bull's that big for a reason. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the time to kill them is well when they're vulnerable during the rut. Like you said, they could be anywhere, but if they're, if you don't make it then and there's a post rut hunt, then you're stuck to doing exactly what you said, finding that little spot that he winters where he hasn't, he's obviously in a nice little tight spot cause he's <laughs> eight, 10 years old for a reason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when during rifle season, when you think about like uh, elk, I guess as far as like cows and and you know the herd dynamic or whatever, like is that an area that you tend to avoid? Like, say hypothetically, it's uh, rifle season, late October, early November, and and you're getting into a lot of elk, but you're getting into like the spikes, the cows, uh, maybe some raghorns and like that. Like, what's that tell you about that area, and how would you adjust your tactics? Well, if you're running into a lot of cows and smaller bulls, it, it tells you that there was a big bull there, you know, a couple of weeks ago during the rut. So you yeah. know that that herd of elk had a herd bull with it a few weeks ago. Yeah. So then I'm just looking at the terrain, trying to figure out, and some of it's trial and error. You have to walk three or four drainages before you find maybe where one's hanging out at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then it's just trying, trying to find where that bull went these last two weeks because he's usually by himself right when they pull away it seems like yeah sounds like your kids are gonna kill themselves a lot of times they're (laughs) yeah to answer your question they're not like i'll usually look elsewhere if i'm running into the whole group of cows i'll usually look a drainage away or something i I won't just sit there and pound those cows up most likely that herd bull's not coming back once he pulled away unless you catch a second rut and if you do usually they're bugling so yeah and then they'll tell you that's that's good i try and look elsewhere for sure, for yep. sure. Well, uh, any big plans this year coming up, or what do you got planned? Uh, any good tags, at least? Um, I'll be hunting Alaska again. My family lives up there, so I'm going to be. I'll be doing a hunt in Alaska, and then I'll uh, for doll sheep. And then, as far as elk goes, I'll just have my just a general season tag in Idaho, and then I drew a a decent archery tag in Montana for elk. So nice. I'm looking forward to this. Mainly my Montana <laughs> for archery. Yeah. Oh man. Right. Is, so do you think Idaho is, is completely gone or is there like some hope or is there still some like good opportunities there? What's your thought? Oh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's definitely some good areas, areas in Idaho. Um, the whole like Northern part of the panhandle has gone downhill so much, mainly strictly to wolf predation. I mean, we've, we've had got so many wolves in the panhandle of Idaho. Um, and the biggest problem is there's just, you can't control them because it's so thick. So, um, a couple of years ago, I usually don't drop names that I will on this one because there's no elk there, but I went into the Selway Bitterroot mountains, um, you know, the wilderness area of, of Idaho and that season opened September 15th. And so I was just thinking to myself, you know, usually we can kill one with a bow. If I got a rifle in my hand, September 15th, these bulls are going to be screaming their heads off. Even if there's not a whole lot of elk, we should be able to find a few to get tagged out. And so I had horses and mules, and we, we packed in 22 miles into the Selway Bitterroot Mountains. Um, 
with a lead from a guy that used to hunt it, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, when he said there was just, you couldn't sleep at night. There were so many bulls bugling around this spot. He told us to camp. And we got back there and it was the most beautiful elk country I've ever seen in my life. I mean, just big burns, tons of feed, little like moose swamps, plenty of water. And we hiked for like four days. Well, first we, we packed in 22 miles and saw like one elk track on the pack in. And then we hiked for three or four days without seeing a living animal other than two or three squirrels. And it was just, it was the, it was pathetic. It was the biggest dead zone I had ever hunted. Um, we finally did see one small herd of elk. There was one six point bull in it. And I had to hike an extra six miles beyond our 22 miles where our camp was at to, to harvest a bull. And I felt so bad shooting it. It was the last bull we saw in there. Um, we'd gone so far and that was my season. That was my tag for the year. So I, I shot it, but it was just sickening. I mean, that place used to be absolutely insane. And it went from insane good to people are hardly even able to fill their tags in there now in places. So yeah, that gives you an idea of how bad the wolves have gotten in the northern part. And it's the same thing with northwest Montana. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. That, um, the, the yak used to be really good. You can't even hardly find a bugle up there anymore um, in northwest Montana. So, yeah, there's places, there's places in Idaho that are good. Um, just my opinion, like I saw, I got an email the other day. It's just like that random email you get from the fishing game for, I mean, they were maybe talking about, putting a quota on non-resident tags because Idaho is all about opportunity. It seems like, you know, you want to kill an animal there. They really push anybody can buy a tag and come here and hunt. Well, that was really good. Um, I think for everybody, but when wolves took a play in it, you can tell I don't like wolves and as much as I talk about them, they, uh, something is going to have to cut. I mean, we're trying to harvest the wolves as much as we can, but in my opinion, you're going to have to cut tags eventually just so we have a future for our kids. And so to have all that opportunity of unlimited, like I can go out, we can all go out as Idaho residents and buy a second tag, a non-resident tag and shoot two elk. Well, I used to do it before I really thought about it. You know, I used to shoot two elk a year. Um, But the guys that are buying two tags are the ones doing the damage because they're killing two bulls a year. Yeah. And you, you start taking too many animals out of one area or one unit. I've just, I've seen it decline in my lifetime, which hasn't even been that long in the whole scheme of things. For sure. And so I think that they were, they're considering putting quotas on non-resident tags. And I, myself, I kind of hope they do away with that. Second tag for residents as well. It's just too much. Yeah. Too much opportunity for the amount of animals we have. Oh, I was going to say to answer your question. Yes, there still is some honey holes, but for the most part, I've just, I've seen a decline everywhere i've hunted yeah and it's tough i think everyone it's frustrating because like people bitch about the wolf hunting but then they or sorry the elk hunting but then they don't you know do any wolf hunting and i'm guilty of that too it's like i have never killed a wolf so i can't really it's you know i can't say much about it yeah um but at the same time like i agree like the two tags thing could probably be limited uh one question i had before we wrap up and uh, i get this question a lot and i think it's something i consider and or think about a bit um, and you had kind of mentioned horses and I know you do a bunch with horses. How do you decide when to take horses, when to not take horses? Uh, you know, there's pros and cons for sure. I think everyone's like, Oh, he kills big bulls cause he's got horses. You're like, uh, not always the case. Um, you know, I guess yourself as a horse guy, like when, when are they 
a good thing and when are they not? Like when do you how do you decide that? I think sometimes I need to run your questions a little bit, but I think when I actually sold mine here a couple of years ago, just because of the fact of, uh, you sit there and you feed them all year, you know, I would, uh, trim them myself. You build fence after work. Like they are so time consuming to have a pack string of animals. You got all this money wrapped up into them and then you use them for two weeks. Like that's what I did. I'd use them during, you know, two weeks of the best season. We'd go far back in and we'd usually harvest a bull but it's a lot of work for the payoff. And so, yeah, horses were great. We, you get back away from people. Um, a lot of times we were hunting elk that never, it, we didn't have any people competition. You know, that's how far we'd go. We'd go beyond where everybody else would go. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. A lot of times you can hunt around the road for a whole season and these elk are so bugle shy or people shy they just take off running at every stick that pops but when you get back in there and you're hunting elk that haven't been bothered by people they're a little dumber and you can usually get it done in a quicker instance but when our local hunting started getting so bad that we were having to travel um in other states other areas to hunt as when i decided to sell them just because of i mean i've done it i've taken them to wyoming and and things like that but it's for me, it wasn't fun to travel with horses. You can't just, you go into an area that's dead. It's not just an easy thing to pack all the way out, load your gear up. You can't like go stay in a motel without having to take your horses out and water them and feed them. And you almost spend more time dealing with your horses than you do trying to kill an elk. So that's the reason I sold them. But if I still had a, uh, if I had a spot close by that I knew the elk were at that I could get away from people, I would still have them. But that's the reason I sold them. It's just, there's too many random when we start putting in for tags and you draw a tag in New Mexico one year or um, Montana or Colorado is too far to go. Just scout area, pulling a horse trailer. You can't just run up all the roads, scouting, glassing yeah. when you're trying to learn new country. <laughs> no. And I, I, dude, I'm like on the exact same boat as you. Like there's times where it just pans out perfectly and you get into an area and you get your hunting elk that just have not been messed with. But it's like, it seems like there's too many dead zones these days to where I'll go in, you know, too far (laughs) to, to make a move anywhere else. And then you're like, it's, there's nothing, you know, it's like a dead zone. Like you said, you get in that subway and it's like, there may nothing there. And you're like, man, now it's like, (laughs) do I commit? Do I just go farther? Do I, you know, I'm like, it just seems like there's more dead zones than it used to be. It seems to me, I mean, I could be wrong, but I I think like 10 years ago, and I think it is a wolf thing. Like those super remote areas are now messed with because it's not, you know, like around roaded areas, you talk about people calling and stuff and that spooks elk. Well, you get into the super remote areas and it's just wolves back there um, just laying havoc. And so it's the same thing. You still get twitchy elk and it's like, well, there's not much benefit if yeah. I'm going to go 20 miles in and still hunting twitchy elk. Uh, so yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, don't know. Exactly. I think the dynamics changed a little bit in the last few years for sure. I think you know, wolves, grizzlies, all that has a big piece of it. And it's just, it's almost too risky for me now to be like, okay, I'm going in 20 miles. And I just feel like I'm like playing roulette. Yeah, you are. You're just putting too much. And that's what we were running into. You're just with all the prep and time you get back in there into dead zone. Well, you just wasted. Sometimes you only have yeah, that's a it. week to hunt with yeah. work or whatever. And then, so you wasted on that. You can't just pull up and move. There was one, one thing I wanted to back up a little bit and talk to you about, uh, the predators. So one goal I've tried to have these last few years that I think is a good goal for 
for everyone that's a that's an avid elk or deer hunter is I've actually I've tried to shoot as many predators as I take uh, like game animals with that I'm going to eat. So I like that. And the last few years, it's it's worked. You know, it's like I'll either try and get a wolf or two, or get out there and and black bear hunt, get out there and call coyotes. And usually I'm taking more predators than I am taking game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fun. It's good practice. It's good shooting. You're, uh, you're helping out the numbers. They need all the help they can get with all the predators we have. And so that's been one little goal I just set for myself personally. I haven't really told anybody that, but uh, my brother and I have tried to do that. And we've, we've done that in the last few years. And at least I know it helps a little bit at least. Dude, that's a great goal. And like, I, I a hundred percent for it. Uh, I am guilty of not doing that and I should be better about that. You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah, no, 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 most of are. And like, I'm not against it. Like in any, any way I am actually like, you know, I question the people who, uh, are into hunting. Yeah. You guys want to kill your own, like nothing against this. It's like, everyone's at their own level and I'm not beating up anyone here, but you know, for the guys that aren't okay with predator hunting or are okay with it, but don't do it themselves. Like what, like you harvest your own meat and to be able to do that, to continuously be able to do that, you also have to pull, you know, a predator out. I think that's a, that's explains it really well. And I think I should, most people should understand that is like, Hey, if you're going to, if you want to harvest your own meat, great, you know, but you can't sit here and not pull any predators out because we already have an overabundance of predators and if we start pulling more yeah. elk and deer out of the woods without fixing the predator problem, uh, it doesn't, there's, it's not sustainable. It doesn't go on very long, you know? So I think that's a huge yeah, that's piece. Right. We should promote that. We need to figure out a way to like do something to <laughs> promote that. And you know, here's the deal. Like dude, the, the coyote derby things, coyote derbies were yeah. created to, for to drive participation you know it's like coyotes most people don't care if they shoot a coyote there's not much benefit out of it you know like it doesn't really matter uh yeah. and you know unless you're doing it for pure sport but it need you know as a way to promote participation they created these derbies and and you know a reason to do it and now we're banning that and it's like then there's gonna be no reason to go harvest these predators like i just cannot wrap my yeah. head around how they think this works if you just let all the predators live and even if you only consume so many elk and deer, like the predators are just growing. There's nothing killing them, you know? And so we need a way to, now that it's illegal, it's like, how do we, how do we promote wolf hunting? How do we, you know, up the ante there or even black bears? Like, I don't think people yeah. understand how much damage black bears do to the populations. Yeah, no, they really don't. I mean, just to touch a second on black bears, I've seen it personally three times. I've seen black bears either, either I've watched them kill a calf or I jumped one off of a dead calf Yeah. elk. And so those big boars, usually, I mean, the ones I've seen have been boars. I know it's any, any bear, but um, once they figure it out, I guess it's just with experience, they figure it out. They just see a cow elk or a, a white tail at this time of year, or a mule deer, whatever it is. I just watch them hang around. A lot of times bear hunting this time of year when they're dropping all, if I see a cow elk, I sit there and watch her. I'll watch her until evening. And I've seen bears come out and chase her around looking for a calf, whether she has one or not. And the the ones I've seen, yeah, they, they pick them right off. No problem. 
Oh, um, well, yeah. If they I mean, get sat down, they just kill them time and time again. Yeah, if you go to those calving areas, that's what them bears so, are just cruising that, and they can smell them a mile away. So it's like they're just cruising those calving areas, and those calves aren't going to, yeah. you know, like, oh, you know, people say a black bear can't take down an elk. A calf elk just sits there. It'll just eat it. It won't go anywhere. You know, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, it's a couple I, days. The one I watch, it just he just zigzagged around until he found it. Yeah. And I was like two miles away when I watched him. He jumped into a bush, and I heard the calf. I heard the calf elk scream like a little kid. About like I said, about two miles away, I heard a scream when that bear jumped into the brush, and that was the end of it. And we had like a half hour before dark. We drove over as close as we could get. We hiked up there and shot that bear right off the calf. He's standing right on it, eating it, and we shot it about 15 yards. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah, we have seen it firsthand. But then as far as promoting the wolves, I don't know if you get hear about it too much in Montana, but in Idaho we have that S4WM, uh, it's like four wolf management or something like that organization that started up. And have you heard of that yourself? Huh, I have not, actually. What is it? So kind of way that oh it, it it's definitely helped a lot in idaho but it's an organization like um you know rocky mountain elk foundation or something like that it's a foundation and so they are basically you pay in every year i forget exactly what the fee is but what, let's just say it's 100 bucks or something you everybody pays in your fee every year to be a member and then you keep track of your receipts say i mean it could just be a fuel receipt or a ticket payment or whatever and then if you harvest a wolf you get reimbursed a certain amount of money. So I think it's $500 in some areas. And I think some of the wilderness areas, it's up to, I think, $1,000 a wolf. Um, and so if you're a member and you pay your dues every year, all that money goes into a pot. And the guys that are out there successfully harvesting wolves get reimbursed a certain amount of money um, per wolf. They have to have their receipts. But it's turned into a really good thing for the trappers because it's given them trapping and hunting is so expensive to get out there and yeah. to actually be successful there. It's encouraged some of the, the guys that are good at it to put more time into it, to get further in the backcountry, And they're at least paying for their, some of their expenses doing it instead of just going backwards. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a friend that does it. That he put, he put like 30,000 miles on a, on a rig in one winter running around checking wolf traps and he was successful. He's killed, got a lot of wolves but oh man that's, um, that's it's huge. definitely helped and i th- i think that there's ex- last i heard they were talking about expanding into montana there's a lot of political hoops that they have to go through obviously yeah so yeah that's i think I, the biggest problem we have with wolf management is on that is the freaking you know politics that are all wrapped up in it and the politically correctness yeah. uh yeah we should do a yeah. wolf hunting podcast this fall so you can teach us all how to kill wolves oh i don't know i think we just got lucky a few times but we, <laughs> we've we've definitely harvested a few uh, i think my brother tom was the first one first one to harvest one on on video on youtube period in, in the lower 48 he, oh really tom shot one the first the first year we could hunt him and had it all on video it's pretty cool Oh, that's awesome. Well, we'll link up to that video. We'll link up to a bunch of videos. Where can guys check out what's the name of your YouTube channel? And, uh, I mean, where would you like us all to go and subscribe? Oh, yeah, it's just YouTube. Just go to YouTube and stuck in the rut, and it's just the letter N instead of I-N in the middle, but it doesn't matter which way you type it in. It pops up. And, yeah, just go on there and subscribe. We've got a lot of followers. It's a lot of fun. Um, 
What's the best video to start at? You guys have a pile of videos. Oh, man. I don't even know. I don't have them memorized. We have uh, like 100, I don't know, 110 or so episodes, and they're all hunts that show the kill shot. So, I mean, you just start at one, go up. <laughs> Dude, yeah. It's, it's just, you can type in whatever you want. If you want to see elk hunt, you can type in second threat, archery elk, rifle elk, Alaskan moose, whatever you want to see. Long range, short range, you'll, you'll see it. Actually, the one that comes to mind, if you type in drop, stuck in the rut drop compilation, uh, we've gotten a lot of flack, but we don't really care. We get death threats every day anyway from Enviro's on YouTube. But <laughs> we, we've put together a drop compilation recently, and, and it's like, I, I don't even know how many, but it's like some of our best drops all put together in a compilation in like a three-minute video. Oh, and man. so if you're a hunter and you like to, watch animals get hit. That's one that people can sit there and watch time and time again. Yeah. I can see <laughs> how you get some death threats for that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's mainly over predators. People uh, don't like wolf or bears. It's, it's weird. You don't catch much flack for elk and deer, but really, gosh, you shoot a wolf or a, or a bear or grizzly bear, Alaskan brown bear. And yeah. People want your head, but <laughs> so like I said, it happens every day. So whatever, if you want to come to my house, I'll be waiting. <laughs> uh, already, Travis. Well, thank you so much for jumping on, man. Uh, awesome stuff. We're going to have to do it again. Uh, but thank you, thank you. Best of luck this year. Good luck on the archer tags, the elk yeah, tags, absolutely. and definitely the doll sheep. That's a freaking cool hunt, too. Uh, can't wait to see you guys do. And, and everybody go subscribe to YouTube, Stuck in the Rut channel. Uh, we'll put links in the show notes, and we'll put one of the videos on there as well. Uh, thank you again, man. Seriously. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good day. Later. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt Podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource, and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that, or we'll refund your money. Uh, if you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get $30 out of it, then we'll definitely refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.